0: Saul was the first king of Israel. Israel had had a governmental system that was made up of different... Uh, there were a lot of different ways that it was governed over the years, but basically it was a monarchy. Um, there's, they, they set it up in different systems, priests, prophets, judges, which weren't really judges, they were more governors. Um, but it came at this point in time in Israel, Israel's history... They have decided that they wanted a king, and so um, God tells Samuel, the last judge or the last governor, to say it, go ahead, go anoint a king, go anoint Saul king, and he'll be the first king of Israel. Now, um, Saul's tenure as king was, um, well, how can I say this? He, he was a disappointment. Um, He started off well, and that didn't last long. And then he began to make decisions that um, uh, he decided he was in charge rather than God. And so we come to this verse, which I put in your handout, 1 Samuel 16.1. And the Lord says to Samuel, he says, You've mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I've selected one of his sons to be my king. So not long after Saul is in his um, kingship, God rejects him because basically Saul rejected God. And there's this interesting dynamic going on here um, because he's already choosing another king even though Saul is still the king. And in verses 12 and 13, we see in your handout that uh, Jesse sent for him, and this being his last son. Between verses 1 and 12, there is a parade of Jesse's sons. Seven of his sons come by, and, um, and all of them, Samuel says, God, is this the one? No, that's not the one. We get to the eighth one here, and Jesse says, bring in the, the young one that's out there shepherding he says, So he sent for him, and he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes, and the Lord said, that's the one anointing him. And so, as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on, and Samuel returned to Ramah. And so, Saul is now a lame duck king. Um, But... Interesting enough, you know, we have lame duck presidents. They usually only last a few months. Saul is lame duck king for about 15 years after this. And so there's this interesting relationship between David and Saul going on because David is the next king. God's already chosen him. And yet they're supposed to be in this relationship while while Saul still has the throne. And... Uh, the first thing that, that God asked David to do is to go to Saul's house, actually, and to, and to be like his musician. Uh, he plays the harp or some stringed instrument of some sort, and, and it's calming it's soothing to, to Saul, who is becoming increasingly more agitated, irritated, uh, more violent in his demeanor. More, uh, it, it is clear that as God has rejected him, and that he is no longer the king. He is becoming a bitter man. And David's primary duties for, for this king Saul is, is to calm him down, to play music, and and to keep the peace in the house, even though David is probably saying, when do I get to be king? And so there, it's, it's an interesting play, and this plays out for a long time. And then eventually... Saul gets his his uh, spirit of irritation, his agitation, his his depression, his um, anger, his bitterness gets the best of him, and he starts chucking spears at David. David would be playing the harp and him duck, you know, and then you know play the music duck, and uh, this you know it goes on for a while until finally David goes. It's probably a better idea if I just get out of here, and so David goes on the lamb and he's running. And with the help of, of Saul's son and daughter, he escapes uh, Saul. And then Saul's not happy, uh, and so Saul decides he's going to take his entire army and go after David. And there's a an entire few ch- well several chapters in the Bible where you see David just sort of wandering around, um, uh, and in the desert, in caves. Hiding while Saul hunts him down, uh, a, a hunted man. And we pick up in the story with um, David and Saul in the cave. Saul has just—he Saul had to get—he got distracted. You know, he, he was, hes trying to get David, and then all of a sudden, another country wanted a war with Israel, and it, so he had to go actually take care of business. And they win that battle. And he says, now, let me get back to the task at hand. And that's where we pick up. 1 Samuel 24, verse 1. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En-Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. So he's getting his special forces together um, because Obviously, David poses a huge threat, um, and he needs 3,000 of his best men to get him. At the place where the road passes some of the sheepfold, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. There's no um, real eloquent way to put this, but... <laughs> <laughs> Bible's real sometimes. Um, There were no porta-potties in those days. And Saul, uh, he goes into the cave to take care of business. Because he wants some privacy, he leaves the elite guards and the bodyguards and everybody else outside. And so he is vulnerable and alone. And it just so happens he's going right into the cave where David's already waiting. And this interesting exchange happens. David's men say to him, now's your opportunity. Today, today's the day the Lord's telling you, I'll certainly put your enemy into your power so you do with him as you wish. David crept forward, sneaking in. And he had his knife out and he he cuts a piece of the robe off first. But then the Bible says, the Lord knows that I shouldn't have done that to my lord the king. And so he went back and said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my lord the king and attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men, and they did not kill Saul. And after Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, my lord the king! And Saul looked, and he saw David bowed low, prostrate before him and he shouted to Saul, "Why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you could see it with your own eyes. It's not true. The Lord placed me placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said I am never I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one." And so David made a choice, a moment of decision. And um, it's not the choice that many men would make. Actually, if you go on to read this passage, Saul goes, "Huh? Who else would do that? Who else would do that? I don't understand why you let me go, but you did." Eventually, he just keeps chasing him and trying to kill him. But he, for a moment, he had a moment of clarity. Um, I thought about this, and I thought about our series moments of decision, and I thought about what goes on sometimes in the moment of decision. Everyone. Every one of us will have different moments, unexpected moments, where we have to make a choice like this. Now, obviously, as Christians, it is preferable to make choices when we can pray about them, talk to our loved ones, get some wise counsel from uh, differing people that maybe God's put in our lives uh, to love us and that we're supposed to love them. And that's, that's the ideal, but it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes it happens like this, where in the moment, you have to make a decision, right or wrong, what's it going to be? I don't have a choice to sit here and take my time on this thing. It's now or never, and it's a moment of decision, and it has consequences. Now, I thought about what was going on in this, and the first thing I thought about is that decisions in the moment are not always black and white. You know, David's getting counsel. The Bible says in the multitude of counsel, there is wisdom. David's getting counsel. Kill him. Come on. Finish him off. The Lord put him in. Look, his bodyguards aren't with him. His 3,000 men, they're outside. This guy is a sitting duck. The Lord set him up there. Knock him down. Just do it. Come on, do it. And everybody that is he, next to him is in encouraging him to do one thing. And yet, in his heart, something's holding him back. He's got something else going on. He kind of knows it's wrong. And he doesn't quite get it, but he's wrestling with it. He's got his knife out. He's ready to do it. I've cut a little piece of the robe off. I mean, it's not black and white. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. There's some pretty good, you know, I got, there's good reasons to do this, and there's good reasons not to. Where do I go? And there's this competition of values going on. Decisions in the moment can often include a a competing values. This competition of values. The one value obviously is the value of opportunity. Okay, I mean he's been chased for years. Spears getting thrown at him. The guy's trying to kill him. It can't be fun to live in the middle of the desert in caves and rocks for years while somebody's trying to kill you. It can't be fun to be chased down and hunted like a wanted man when you've done nothing wrong. And there's an opportunity to end this thing. Okay? So there's, there's, there's one value, right? The door swings open. Here's my chance. I'm getting counsel, right? I'm getting a multitude of counsel. I'm getting my counsel, it all seems good. But then there's this other competing value in David. And this is the value that in David I just love. He, he, has, an, an abil- he has an ability to um, sense in his, in his soul what's right and wrong in the Lord. He has what we call a soft heart. He has a soft heart and a, a sensitive spirit. And if God wants to get a hold of him, God has the ability to get a hold of him. And so to David, it is more important to listen to God. It is more important to to regard the things of God as important. Now, Saul is a, a flawed man, broken, and a lousy king. But David says, nonetheless, he's the king. It's not my job to take him out. I regard, him as my, I regard him as somebody God placed in my life, and I'm supposed to honor him until God takes him out of my life. And so there's this competition of values. I remember one time um, I had this, this instance with somebody who was a mentor to me, somebody who I really love, and somebody who spent a lot of time with me when I was a new Christian, helping me to learn to grow and mature. And, and see the, the things of God and really open up the scriptures and make it life for me. And uh, this one time we had this disagreement, I had some plans. And I had, uh, it was New Year's Day. And uh, New Year's Day back in the 90s was a big deal. It was before the BCS messed the whole thing up. There were actual real games that mattered on that day. Um, so all the guys are laughing the girls are going, I have no idea. So, (laughs) um, but it was a big deal. It was just, it was something that was, I always had, it was a tradition. And I, I wanted to, to continue this tradition. I had made some arrangements to get released from responsibilities here at church because it happened to fall on a Saturday night. And I, I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to go watch football and, um, I had this conversation with this person who's my mentor, and he goes, I don't think that's a good idea because, you know, we just started this Saturday night service, and it's really hard to get people to go. Now, Saturday night services now are pretty full, but when we first started them in the late 90s, um, it it was rough going for a while. There was, you know, it took a while to build that service up. And now it's on a New Year's Day, so it was going to take a hit. And he said he asked me to consider and pray about um, whether or not I would be willing to just come and support the service and whoever else I could get to come and bring them because I wanted to be able to have something for, the God, for God that night that was honoring and, and was important to the Lord. And, and so now I had to, rest, I had to wrestle. I go, I don't want to do that. I want to watch football. <laughs> um, and um, But you know what? God put him in my life. And I knew, I knew that at, th- at that point in time, at that very moment when I wrestled with the decision, it no longer had anything to do with the decision itself. It had nothing to do with whether I was going to come or whether I was going to go watch football. Nothing at all. It had everything to do with, will you honor the Lord in this? Because God was saying, listen, you need to regard the things that he's talking about as a higher value in your life. If you're going to make me important in your life, and if you want to to continue to grow and prosper, and I had these, you know, I, I also had ambition like David to be, to be something in the Lord. I felt like there was a calling on my life and I, you know, I didn't know what it would look like and here I am you know, years later a pastor, but at that point in time, this decision could affect maybe my future ability to be used by God because are you gonna put God's house first on the weekend or are you gonna put your what you wanna do first on the weekend? And for me, listen, for me, it had nothing to do with the decision about coming to church or football, I had to do with the decision to honor and regard this person, this man that God put it in my life and his counsel. Right or wrong, can you honor it? Can you get here? Do you trust me through him? And I had to make that choice. And I came. I came to Saturday night service. And I believe that I learned the same lesson that David's going through in this cave that day. I learned that it isn't really about whether or not the people that God has put in positions to help you and to influence you are always right. It has a lot to do with, will you regard them highly in the Lord? Will you revere them? See, when it says the fear of the Lord, that's a reverence. That's an awe thing for God. Do you revere the Lord? Do you, do you honor him so much that you will regard the people he's put in places in your life to influence you as being from him. And if they make they make mistakes, well, that's between them and God. God will deal with that. That's not my responsibility. It's not my responsibility to decide who did what right, who who did what wrong. My only responsibility at the time is, can I regard the things of God as being highly valuable? And I did that in that decision. And David does it here in the cave. And he has these competition of values that's going on. David... David's greatness laid in the fact that he had that fear of the Lord. Listen, David wouldn't make his kingdom come, okay? David said, God, you take care of it when you decide to take care of it. This was a real opportunity for him to stop running. And listen, the Bible says, true, it's true, get counsel. But his only counsel at that moment is a bunch of people who have also been running for five years away from the spears of Saul, and so they're all thinking, I don't, you know, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of getting, you know, under the gun here. I, I don't want to sit here and, ha- and be hounded like a dog for the rest of my life. Let's take this opportunity. See, that counsel wasn't wise counsel. That's like going to a car dealership and saying. Can you tell me whether or not I should buy a car? You know? (laughs) Of course his counsel saying kill Saul. They don't want to be on the run anymore. But David has the ability to see another side that they don't have. And the the text itself says David's heart was smote when he he cut the robe of Saul, that his heart was smote, that he, he, he was inside of him was grieved. Because he was touching something of God's authority, something of God's kingdom, something of God. And he was regarded, he regarded that very highly. He revered the Lord. He very sensitive spirit. And I thought about David and, and this his soft heart and his ability to um really sense what God is wanting. Now David was a, a flawed man too. He made some Made some some biggies, some big mistakes, uh, in his kingdom. But what he did have is he had a, he had a heart after God, and the Bible tells us that the Lord loved him because of his heart for God. And so, what what made David David? How do we make good choices in that moment decision? I thought about what, you know, what was cultivated in David to make him so soft and sensitive at that moment that the rest of them could not see, but David could. And I think part of it is. Um, David was a man of confession, didn't always do what was right, but he was willing to repent. He was willing to say, "God, you know what I messed up here and i feel I feel not just bad about it I feel i'm I'm dying here. you read psalm 51 you you'll see it he uh, you know, Lord, my you know, oh God, I messed up. oh, forgive me, Lord. He was a man of true confession he he, if, if he made mistakes, he had no problem going to God and saying, "I messed up, Lord. I messed up. Lord, help me. Lord, help me." The other thing I thought um, about is he was very real. You know, I mean, he's he's in all these caves and wilderness, and being chased, he's being hunted, and um, he's he's not like putting on the happy face, going. Life is great. I'm happy um, because this is what I'm supposed to be. But he was real. You you begin to read his writings. He wrote many of the Psalms, many of the Psalms being songs of the Old Testament. And they're so gritty and real. I I have just a couple to show you. Psalm 71 and 2. Please, God, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. May those who try to kill me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight... In my trouble, be turned back in disgrace. You can hear this coming from the cave, can't you? I mean, this isn't just, Lord, I'm blessed to be in the cave with my friends. Thank you for allowing me to be hunted. And um, oh, oh, the joy of the Lord. He's real. He's he, You know what? He has no problem saying, I don't like this, God. I need some help here. And that's a very, I love that about David. Another one, Psalm 37.5, uh, commit everything you do to the Lord, trust him and he, he, he will help you, he will help you. You know, that's part of this realness of, of David, he's, he's committing all his ways to God. He, it doesn't matter if he's in a cave or on the throne, whatever he does, God is part of it, he commits it to God. He says, Lord, I want you to be in this. I want you, if I'm in the cave, I need you. I, I definitely need you now. But even if I'm on the throne, I need you. I need you. I'm going to commit everything to you. I'm going to trust you in this. And what, what, I mean, how much more can you trust God than to say, look, here's Saul right here. I can end this thing. I'm tired of being hunted. I can end it, but I won't. You know why? Because I trust you, Lord. I'm going to commit this to you. If you're done with Saul, you take him out. Not my job. I will continue to just do whatever you ask me to do and until the meantime when you set me up as this king that you've promised me. And who knows what kind of impact that decision may have had on his future kingdom. Because what you reap in life, you also sow. And it may be that had David taken Saul out, if he was ever king, he might have been besieged for the rest of his life by people trying to take him out. You never know. I don't know how it would have affected him as king, but I know this, because he he allowed God to deal with Saul and didn't decide to take this into his own hands, he trusted God to deal with this and, and eventually get him into his kingship. He had a kingdom that was relatively peaceful for 40 years. For 40 years, it was relatively peaceful the last thing I want to do, the last sort of reflection that I have about this um, is that decisions in the moments are not always decisions decided. And what do I mean by that? I mean that, yes, David made the right choice. And he, he had to make a moment in a you know, split second. He made the right choice. But I don't know that it was completely decided in his heart. And we have things like this all the time. We have, um, I know for a fact that some of the things I've experienced as a follower of Jesus is forgiveness. That there are times I have forgiven people, and the next time I see them, I have to forgive them again. Because something has crept into my heart that says, well, yeah, you may have forgiven them last time, but right now, they're not very forgiven. And you're going to have to redo this. You need a do-over. Okay, You decided it once, but it wasn't really decided. It's come up again. And in this passage, 1 Samuel 24, this is not the only time that this happens to David. Obviously, he's wrestling with the decision because he's got his knife out. He's starting to cut the robe. It's he's in turmoil so even though he makes the right choice it's by the skin of his teeth he gets there and then in, in chapter 26 guess what happens exactly the same thing they're walking around at night he trips over Saul's spear basically almost falls on the guy and there's his trusty counsel going kill him there he is kill him come on come on come on we can end this thing and David has to, again, he has to make the exact same choice. And there, I believe there's a reason he had to do that again. It's because it wasn't fully decided the first time. He made a choice, but can he make it again? Can he make the right, right choice more than once? Is it really sewn into him? And so he had to do this thing again. This happens, this happens a lot. Um, I remember coming in here as a, a young believer. Well, I came in here a young unbeliever and uh, soon became a young believer. Maybe not that young, <laughs> 34. Um, but, um, but I remember some of the things, you know, when, and I teach a newcomers class, so I get this a lot some of the things I first wrestled with with God. You know, what does this mean, Lord? If I'm going to follow you, what does this mean? What does this mean about what I can watch? What does this mean about what I can listen to? And I always get this question in the newcomer's class. Does, do I have to do this? Do I have to, you know, do I have to sell all my uh, Black Sabbath albums and get rid of them, you know? And, um, you know, <laughs> I have, I, and so you get these questions, and I go, you know, that, it's, you're going to have to work some of this stuff out in the Lord, okay? There are things in your life that you will die to along the way so that more of God can live in you. And I don't know exactly what those choices are going to be for you. For us, they're all different, right? And I had to make some of those choices. I, chose, I made some choices around my, you know, the music I would listen to, things I would watch, those sort of things. And, so, and, and I will tell you, it's been a constant struggle to keep that line, you know, I it is not easy. Stuff comes out, you wanna watch. Ooh, ah, I wanna watch that. You read the review, you go, ah, man, wait a minute. There's a lot of garbage in there. Can I do that? You know, and so you, you, you have, okay, Lord, I drew my line, I made my decision. Is it really decided? Is it really decided? Because once something comes on this side of the line, all of a sudden I'm like, well, this is, you know, that's a, there's some flexibility here. I can go this way or that way. And that's just for me. Now, listen, that's my own personal experience. Everybody and every one of us has different things in God that God may ask us to sort of work on. And mine is not yours. But that's the one area I believe that my decision is not necessarily a decision decided. Because I have to make the choice all the time. I'm always making a choice around that for me. Is that proper for me to watch? Is that proper for me to listen to? And the line always wants to get blurred. I, re- I remember talking to a man, man I really admire, his name is Jack Hayford, and I go to his, his his college's seminary, and he he's had this 50-year ministry with that he's been, you know, that thrived, and now he's a pastor to pastors, and he's a, he's a president of his denomination, and he's... He's just this, you know, God-filled man that seems like he never made any mistakes. And um, I asked him one time, I got a chance to spend a week with him. Actually, I got a chance to do this a few times, but to spend a week with him and his wife and just kind of sit around their house and talk to him with some other pastors and ask him questions. And I asked him what, I go, why do you think your ministry has been so blessed for fifty years. And he said to me, he goes, Because if I felt like the Lord said something, I did it immediately, and I never question it. And I and he gave some examples, you know, that may seem, you know, just odd and strange to us, but he said, like when I was very young, he said there is a certain type of, of sweet that I felt like God asked me not to to eat. He goes, I haven't had I haven't had this type of candy for 60 years because I felt like God said, don't, don't do it. And, it. and that seems crazy to us, but, those, but that's the deal. See, he had such a soft heart for the Lord. Like David, right? You know, what David's got the knife out, right, is there's a sensitivity in his soul to the things of God, and there's a sensitivity to the Lord that says, if God tells me no, I'm not going to fight this in the long run i will lose i'll lose that battle and the whole thing you know what if you talk about this whole thing put it all into a sum it up sum up the whole thing this moment of decision it's all about response david's responsibility to god in the moment and his responsiveness to the inner check in his spirit right his heart smote him it's stricken him and he said look I not only will not respond to the people who are saying, kill him, kill him, kill him. I will be responsive in my soul to God who is saying, you need to regard the things of the Lord highly. And I'm asking you not to do this. Can you check yourself? And can you do it again and again? Because listen, the decision wasn't made. The decision had to be made again. And then it had to be made again. That's why the whole topic I put on your handout, the, the title, Decisions, Decisions wasn't a one-time decision decisions decisions and so there's a wrestling match going on here what should i do what's the right thing okay now i know the right thing can i do it do i have the strength to do it and a lot of us have been in that place a lot of us have been in the place where we say okay i understand what i'm supposed to do but i don't feel like i have the strength to do it and that's where david would call out to the lord and say you know what? I need you, God. I need your strength. I, I think I know what's right, but I don't even feel like doing that. Can you help me? Can you help me here? And there's a real honesty, a genuineness, a, a real heart for God in all his choices. And so I pray, Lord, give us a heart like David's. That's soft and pliable. That's sensitive towards the things of God that you can get at, that you can capture. And because we've made choices that honor you, Lord, there's an ability to hear your voice better. I pray for all of us that when that moment of decision comes that can have an impact for a lifetime, this could have changed everything about his kingdom, that, Lord, we would be grounded in, in such a way towards the things of God that there would be no real hard choice to make. We would choose you because we're soft, pliable, sensitive, and we can call upon you for strength. Even if we don't want to make the right decision, you are there with strength to help us, Lord. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.